Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. In 2010, a woolly mammoth carcass was discovered in Siberia near the coast of the Laptev Sea. Nicknamed Yuka, this specimen of the long-extinct beast died around 28,000 years ago. Yet her body was astonishingly well-preserved, complete with patches of reddened fur, a brain that was largely intact, and nucleus-like cell structures. So how did her body last so long without rotting away? The short answer is Yuka was frozen, but not inside some glacier or iceberg. After death, Yuka became encased in a layer of what's known as permafrost. Let's break down what that is. As we know, water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit or zero degrees Celsius, Permafrost is any ground material, such as soil, sediment, and rock, that remains at or below freezing temperatures for at least two consecutive years. About 25% of all the land area in the Northern Hemisphere is known to contain permafrost. It was American paleontologist Simone W. Mueller who originally coined the term permafrost, a portmanteau of the words permanent and frost. Despite that name, permafrost doesn't last forever— Thanks to climate change, it's been thawing in large quantities. This has serious ramifications for both the environment and the economy. Generally speaking, permafrost tends to occur in places where the average air temperature is zero degrees Celsius or lower every year. According to the National Snow and Ice Data Center, most of the northern hemisphere's permafrost sits between the high latitudes of 60 and 68 degrees north. Siberia, Canada, Alaska, and parts of Scandinavia are loaded with this frigid turf. Further south, permafrost tends to be found in high-elevation areas, like the Tibetan Plateau and the Swiss Alps. Permafrost isn't as widespread below the equator, but it does underlie parts of New Zealand, the Andes Mountains, and Antarctica. Just as its locations vary, so does its composition. It's not uniform. Some sections are ice-free, while others are made up of more than 30% ice. Likewise, the depth, age, and extent of permafrost can vary widely. Oftentimes, permafrost sits beneath an active layer of ground, that is, a layer that thaws and refreezes seasonally. The permafrost itself can measure anywhere from less than 3 feet, that's 1 meter thick, to more than 5,000 feet, or 1,500 meters thick. And it can get patchy. Northern Alaska occupies a continuous permafrost zone. That means permafrost underlies more than 90% of the local terrain. But at lower latitudes, it's a different story. Pretty much everything south of the Brooks Mountain Range sits in a discontinuous permafrost zone. Here, permafrost resides under a smaller percentage of the land's surface. That's partially because, as counterintuitive as it may sound, snow is a really good insulator. So when thick blankets of snow stick around all year long, they might keep the ground too warm for permafrost. Likewise, in spots where permafrost already exists, insulating layers of surface-level snow are liable to heat it up. But while snow is an impediment, peat is a boon. Widespread in and around the southern Arctic, peat is a kind of ground material that's made up of partially decayed organic matter, like mosses or swamp plants. By and large, the ground beneath it is kept cool, shielded from solar heat. Thus, peat safeguards permafrost. Evergreen forests lend a helping hand, too. With their thickly needled branches, pine trees limit the amount of sunlight and snow that hits the surface. In the process, the evergreens help keep permafrost from thawing. So, permafrost is common below the clustered pines in high elevation and high altitude areas. The arrangement is mutually beneficial. Since liquid water can't seep through hard permafrost, it acts like a drainage barrier. 
unfrozen water that's absorbed into the active layer gets trapped there. Barred from traveling deeper into the earth, this water sustains some of the plants that live at the surface. Although not all permafrost sticks around more than a couple years, some is quite old. At minimum, the permafrost in Prudhoe Bay, Alaska is thought to be 500,000 years of age. And some of the permafrost beneath Canadian's Yukon Territory could be more than 700,000 years old. Inside the latter, scientists found an ancient horse leg, complete with DNA samples. Permafrost can keep all kinds of organic matter preserved over long periods of time. In 2012, Russian scientists regenerated live tundra plants from Ice Age fruits that had been encased in permafrost for about 30,000 years. Unfortunately, as permafrost thaws, the trapped organic material decomposes, releasing carbon and methane into the atmosphere. Those gases exacerbate climate change. And the bad news is, according to a 2019 study published in Nature Communications, various permafrost deposits around the world have warmed up by a couple degrees between the years 2007 and 2016. Right now, approximately 1.7 billion tons of carbon is trapped in permafrost. Scientists don't know how much of this will be released into the atmosphere if current thawing trends continue, or how quickly it will escape. But some projections are not encouraging. To make matters worse, when permafrost thaws, it can destabilize the landscape. In the city of Norlisk, Russia alone, more than 100 residential buildings have been damaged because the once solid permafrost beneath them is softening. The warming of permafrost has also triggered landslides, drained lakes, and torn roads apart. It's yet another reason to be concerned about our contributions to climate change. But to end on a positive note, remember the woolly mammoth yucca found in Siberian permafrost in 2010? She was so well-preserved that in early 2019, scientists were able to extract 88 nucleus-like structures from her cells and attempt to coax them back to life. The team injected the nuclei into mouse ovarian cells, and while the cells never fully divided, they did complete the process called spindle assembly, which is the step where chromosomes attach to spindle structures before the parent cell breaks into two daughter cells. Perhaps as genetics progresses, we'll be able to help the process along. Today's episode was written by Mark Mancini and produced by Tyler Klang. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more on this and lots of other cool topics, uh, visit our home planet, HowStuffWorks.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Listener.